You're listening to the Growth Exponential Podcast. I'm your host, Bradley Karoko. Today, we're joined by a special guest, Eve Krebosik. Eve is the Executive Director of Take This, whose mission is to decrease the stigma and increase the support for mental health in the game enthusiast community and inside the game industry. Eve, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's so interesting to have you here because gaming is like the big thing now. Yeah, games are a major part of our cultural existence and our cultural conversation in both good and bad ways right now, right? It's, a, it's really a cultural moment for games. It's an interesting and exciting time to be working in the game industry. It's amazing. Could you tell us at a high level about Take This? Yeah. So I like to say that Take This is a mental health organization at its root, right? Mental health is, an, is a universal issue. The statistics are that one in two individuals at some point in their lifetime will have either a long or short short-term experience with mental illness or a mental health challenge of some sort. But every community and every environment has specific language and cultural needs. And Take This is designed to address mental health inside the game community because we speak game. So there are very specific challenges related to being a game maker. And there are very specific needs related to playing games that we can address in terms of mental health. That's remarkable. And tell me, could you share with us your story? Like, take us way back. What is it that led you to this executive directorship? Yeah. So I have done nonprofit work since the beginning of my career. That has always been what I intended to do. I've always had a social justice orientation. And that comes from having hippie parents and, (laughs) you know, bona fide hippie parents who dropped out and moved to northern Vermont and that's where I was born. And also from having this very classic American liberal Jewish background of intellectual engagement and questioning and and a sense of responsibility towards the world. And that was cultivated throughout my childhood and throughout my undergrad experience at Brandeis. And I briefly debated going into academia and I got a master's degree in critical communication studies, which is, um, which was really in my case, a a combination of women's studies and cultural studies and and other related fields rhetoric, Uh, but decided ultimately that that was too removed from the actual work itself, that I was committed to doing the work of change and doing the work of social support. And so I came back to the nonprofit community at that point. And for a long time, I was in fundraising because I'm a great writer. I was a grant writer and I liked strategy. And those two things came together really nicely. But over time, I got a little bored with that. And I wanted to engage more and more at the leadership and the strategic level. And so that's what brought me into leadership. And at some point, I decided to start consulting and was doing work as kind of a managing director as a strategic advisor. And Take This reached out to me through my husband, who's in the game industry. He runs a small game company. And it seemed like a perfect opportunity for me to marry the connections and the experience that I had watching him found and run a game company with my background in the nonprofit world. And mental health itself was a 
a natural fit because as I said, mental health challenges and mental illness are really quite common and they affect my family and my husband's family in really profound ways. And so we have always wanted to be a light and to be able to be part of the conversation to destigmatize and normalize mental health challenges and mental illness. And so this seemed like a great opportunity. And in fact, a year and a half in, it's a fantastic opportunity. What is it that your programs look like? Like what exactly are you doing? Gosh, they run the gamut. (laughs) So the primary thing that we started doing back at the founding of the organization seven years ago was this program called the AFK Room Program. It stands for Away From Keyboard. And it's a quiet, supportive space that we host and run at game conventions around the U.S. And these are spaces that have clinicians in them, but if you don't need to talk to a clinician, you don't have to. It can just be a place where you go sit and escape the busyness and intensity of a game convention floor. We also run a pretty substantial website full of online resources, explainers on different mental health topics, analyses of games and representation of mental health in games, kind of all kinds of stuff. We are about to start our own podcast, which is really exciting because a lot of what we do is just have the conversation over and over again in as public a forum as possible. We also do a lot of public speaking. We provide training and consultation to game companies around their internal support for mental health, the practices and and their climate and their policies. We provide consultation on the development of games and the representation of mental health in those games. And we also provide um, consultation on community management and support of mental health challenges as they relate to game communities online. We have a research function where we're trying to do good research on issues such as internet gaming disorder, which is a hot topic right now because the World Health Organization just adopted this is a new diagnosis and the research actually is really quite poor on internet gaming disorder and related things. And there's a lot of moral panic around these issues. We have a program for streaming ambassadors. So streamers are a major part of the game community at this point. They play games and people watch them and they form really strong communities. And we've identified and select a few more every year, streamers who have specific literacy in mental health and essentially agree to abide by a set of standards for talking about mental health and mental illness online in their streams and in their communities. And we provide them with additional training and support. That's a kind of a range of what we do and how we do it. How bleak does it look if you, if you are not doing the work that you're doing? Like what hmm. are the, what's the darker side? <laughs> I mean, we end up serving kind of as a crisis mitigation service in the industry when bad things happen, and they do. There have been a series of suicides over the past few months that we have uh, responded to with support and resources and outreach. And that's the sad part of it. And it's people who make games who are subject to the instability in the industry and the constant churn and closure of studios and uncertainty that makes it very stressful to make games sometimes. And then people just have their own challenges and they may be in the game industry and have their own challenges for totally unrelated reasons, just like other everyone does. And those things are still sad and people lose their lives and people have major crises. And we're here to remind people that that's not 
the only answer, that support is available. There are resources out there, help people understand that when this does happen, that their feelings are going to be complicated and that's okay and help people work through that process and and be there for survivors. So that's the tough part. And like, it keeps happening. What impact does DSM, the psychological classification of gaming, what impact do you think that will have in the short term and the long term? That's a really good question. So to clarify, the internet gaming disorder is in the ICD-10, which takes effect in 2020 and does not govern insurance rules in the US. So that's the DSM. And and the DSM does not contain or will not contain internet gaming disorder, which is good from our perspective. And it's it's a pretty complex situation, but the reason it it exists and will be in the ICD-10 as a classification is because there is greater concern and moral panic around this in other countries that are not the US. And that exists because there are some not particularly well understood differences in the way that games are played, used, and designed uh, across different cultures around the world. And that is not to say that disordered gaming doesn't exist, but the classification of internet gaming disorder as a primary diagnosis, a primary cause, a ga- an, an actual addiction, seems based on, on the research that's available to, to be faulty. And so our concern is that it means that people will be treated for something that isn't actually the thing that's going on with them, that it seems most likely that obsessive or or disordered game use is actually a a coping mechanism, an effect of some other diagnosis or challenge. It turns out that a lot of people use it as a coping mechanism if they have anxiety, if they have depression, if they have social anxiety, or if they uh, don't know how to function in uh, certain situations or if they feel isolated. And it also ignores a lot of evidence about the benefits of gaming that that bring people together, that are highly social, and can, in fact, augment the wonderful in-person relationships and social environment that people are in. Um, So we never argue that people don't need in-person relationships or social engagement. It's just that those things are not the only way to have friends and not the only way to find benefit in social relationships. How do you measure success and take this? That's a really good question because you can't really measure the effect of things not happening, right? What we hope for, our vision basically, is is a game community that welcomes all kinds of people, that has space for mental health conversations and that provides support for people experiencing mental health challenges and that is a healthier and more supportive place to work. What a beautiful vision to have. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the root of it, it's, you know, treat people as people and recognize that people have a range of different ways that they show up in the world. What's your biggest obstacle to getting there? Funding and visibility. You know, funding is a challenge for everybody. And we have a small group of corporate funders and, you know, we're able to show up at these conventions and raise money with, you know, little items and 
and stuff that we sell and and we can and we do these streaming fundraisers but really it's a big industry and we're a tiny little organization so i always feel like just trying to show up in as many places as possible is the hardest thing to do and the most important remarkable and listeners can help you so the the wonderful things that you can do are go onto our website and donate money <laughs> and also to amplify our message and amplify our voice on social media and in conversations about mental health anywhere. There is uh, so much of the game industry is lived and experienced online. And so that's really where um, we are most invested in making our presence known. Eve, that's so interesting. And please tell us, how can our listeners find you online? Yeah. So our website is takethis.org. And uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at takethisorg. It's amazing. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here today at the Growth Exponential Podcast. And I want to wish you tremendous success in all your worthy endeavors. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Growth Exponential Podcast. If you know an executive director or nonprofit professional that you think I should interview, shoot me an email at bradley at growthexponential.org.